So we are celebrating disrupting Doctor's careers. First birthday, woohoo! <laughs> so I'm here with Ola. And Hello. if you are someone who has listened to at least five of these podcast episodes and you haven't contacted us yet, this is a very warm invitation to do so. What do you think about that, Ola? Absolutely. Drop us a line. Let us know where are you at with your journey of changing into an alternative career and which was the most episode that has resonated with you from the podcast. Yeah, we want to know your best episode. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we want to know, most importantly, how can we help you? Clearly these episodes, these podcast episodes are doing great things in the world. We've had at least 23,000 downloads in a year, which is impressive. But we want to know how can we help you? Yes, you. You're listening now. You. So email us at team at medicfootprints.org. And if you're like, I don't need any help, feel free to just leave a review. Help us help millions of doctors across the world. So leave a review on your platform of choice. Anyway, thanks for continuing to listening and on with today's episode. What problems could come up from that, you know, um, because obviously products and things are developed very much from like the technical point of view, from a product manager's point of view, but you're coming in and you're saying, okay, that's all well and good, but is this safe for patients? Is this usable in real life? What kind of problems could come up? And if there is risk, um, like risk of basically it's always looking at harm to the patient. If there is risk of harm to the patient, what can we do? What kind of controls can we put in place to make sure that that harm is minimized or completely removed altogether? Let's face it, burnout amongst doctors is sky high and we're actively seeking other ways to make the most of our transferable skills beyond the usual career pathways. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Bubbers-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect one million doctors across the world with the best in diverse career opportunities. So we are back in the health tech world with... Dr. Alice McGee. So I'm really excited about this particular episode because we will be covering something that is on every doctor's lips, or most doctors, I should say. Um, how do I get into health tech? Uh, but particularly, how do I start consulting in health tech and really kind of dive in into that sector and develop yourself as a doctor in that niche, which it's not really that difficult, but the challenges as doctors, we haven't really um, been taught or consciously developed that skill set in really positioning yourself so you can access some of the best opportunities, which, by the way, I always say, are not advertised. So how do you find your own opportunities? Uh, because they will always be the best opportunities for you. So um, having this conversation with me today is Dr. Alice McGee, who has done just that and is consulting in just that. And she has worked with a, a, a large range of companies in health tech and pharma and has a wealth of insight into this topic. So welcome, Alice. How are yeah. you today? 
Yeah, I'm great, Abena. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to come on and, and discuss everything health tech, talk a bit about my journey, and hopefully I can help others by talking about what I've gone through, the kind of pitfalls um, I've found, and what ultimately has kind of worked for me and helped me have a bit of a portfolio career as such. Awesome. No, I mean, so let's start from, I say, the beginning. There's, we can't go right from the beginning, but tell me more about why you started delving into health tech in general? Yeah, so for me, I did my F1 year, my F2 year, um, and I always thought I wanted to specialize in obs and gynae. So I did a full-time position as a clinical fellow for my F3 year. And as I did it, don't get me wrong, I really did enjoy obs and gynae, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted. I kind of felt like I was seeing patients with the same problem again. Um, A lot of kind of patient misinformation, lack of education around certain conditions. And I just felt like I wanted to do something that could reach more patients and help the population more as a whole, in a sense. Um, So actually what happened was last April, um, I was on a ski trip last year and I actually fell coming off the chairlift, landed quite badly and I tore my ACL and fractured the top of my tibia. Yeah. (laughs) So basically what happened was having that injury and having that break, I'd already been having those thoughts anyway. But then when I had the time off, it actually gave me a new sense of kind of a new perspective in a way. And I really realized, oh gosh, actually that kind of hospital route really intense. I felt like I didn't have any creativity. Um, and I just felt like having that time off, I got a new perspective and I really thought about what do I want and what can I do? And obviously because I couldn't walk properly, I had to, um, you know, I was on my laptop a lot. I was doing some research work, some teaching work. Um, And at that time, I kind of started getting a bit more into LinkedIn and looking at different options I could do outside the hospital in a way. Um, I was going to just jump into that. I mean, I'm so sorry about what happened. But you'd be surprised how many of these stories start with some kind of traumatic incidents. Like I've seen a number of doctors and a lot of them have as, like either physical or mental, some kind of crisis happened and then they, it took them out of their usual day to day. And then they thought, actually, I can do things differently. So um, it's, yeah. it's, it's not surprising at the same time, because otherwise you don't have enough headspace to then reflect and Absolutely. really understand what you need to be doing for you, for you moving forward and like what and actually just get to know yourself again. Yeah, Abena, absolutely. I think that was exactly how I would put it. I think that's what the words I was looking for would be headspace. I think it was you're just Mm. kind of caught up in a rota. You're on nights, weekends, you don't have the time or the energy to maybe think about, okay, actually, maybe I'm a bit unhappy. Maybe I'm not loving what I'm doing. I think it was only then that I had that time where I had to literally sit on the sofa, do my physio exercises. And I was like, it's really nice to have this break and have a think about what I actually want and what I want to do. And initially, I actually was a bit stumped in a sense, because I wasn't really sure of what my options were. So really, I kind of Googled online. And the main things I found were medical writing and acting as like a functional assessor. So assessing people um, for, for like benefits and that sort of thing. And there wasn't really much else apart from kind of retraining and and that sort of thing. But obviously, this was all based on Google searches. I hadn't really gone into LinkedIn properly. I hadn't discovered what you do at this point. Um, and I actually stumbled across um, Hiba Shurkan. She's an obs and gynae registrar who's done some like consulting work with femtech companies in particular. And I saw her profile and she really it stuck out to me because I was like, She's used her women's health research and women's health experience as a niche and as a way to do something different with her knowledge. 
And that really inspired me and it kind of gave me an idea of, okay, yes, I'm, I'm more junior than her, but I still have things I can offer. I wonder if that's maybe something I could do. Because um, at this point as well, I actually ended up, I applied for computer science and everything. I really wanted something different wow. and new. I know when I tell people that they're so shocked because they're like obviously it was quite a commitment I was I applied and got accepted and everything well you're talking about the the actual oh so you apply for an undergraduate degree in computer science I I applied for a master's in computer science master's yeah oh my gosh so um (laughs) yeah I know I just I really what what were you hoping so were you going down the developer route Is is that why you did it I think maybe my perception of that time, because I, I'm I'm not that technical, I can't code. I thought maybe for health tech that I would need to have some kind of, um, you know, developing skills, mm. software coding skills. So I thought, okay, do you know what? Maybe that's what I need to get in. Um, and that's what I had planned to do at one point. But then I, I kind of realized when I saw like Hibis profile, for example, I thought, well, maybe actually there's a way that I can do this without, you know, because I realized that my, my strength isn't my technical skills obviously um and I realized probably my strength as such is my experience and knowledge that I have and I can hopefully bring that to companies in a way great so I mean you've really hit the nail on the head in the sense that it's really important because most thing most most of the time doctors think I've got to retrain in x and do an extra qualification, et cetera, et cetera, to yeah. be accepted, acceptable <laughs> or, you know, work in, work in the sector. But actually it's, you, you, it's important to leverage your existing skill sets yeah. and mar- package it. And I, I like to say, use the word productize. It's one of my favorite words of the year. It's a good productize one, yeah. yourself <laughs> um, <laughs> so that you will be appealing to the right kind of organizations in, in, in the health tech companies. So in your, in your example with Hibba, because she was already working in a women's health capacity, that was a very okay, relatively easy in into the femtech world, right? Yeah. So, so what did you decide to do? Yeah, so basically then um, around that time, I think I must have been like June or July last year, because um, this is all, you know, still for me, it's still relatively new. But I think what was for me, maybe the difference in a way was I, I really went for it. Like I went 100% in. I was really like, I want this to work out. So kind of June, July last year, I started networking on LinkedIn. I reached out to people like yourself, Hiba, um, other people. And I actually heard from Paulina from Dama Health. Um, around that time as well Um, and she had said to me about you know potentially um, collaborating with Dama Health at that time as an advisor and that was the Mm -hmm. first time that I'd really thought of that title of advisor in a way so again a lot of this was just kind of coming organically just through my own research basically um and it can I just step back on that because I mean this is the bit that I think a lot of doctors struggle with is like the level of research and the the reach outs yeah. So what did you have a strategy in mind when you were doing what you were doing then with your reach outs and looking for opportunities? How did you structure it in such a way where you weren't like spraying and praying yeah, um, absolutely. or kind of experiencing overwhelm because it can be really overwhelming and quite target being being, you know, targeted in your approach? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, um, very much like what we talked about, Abena, in terms of finding the transferable skills that I had. So for me, the, the main strength that I had was is that I've done quite a lot of women's health research since I was about second year, third year of uni. So 
I kind of presented myself as a female health focused doctor, although I wasn't in a training, um, I didn't have a training number. Um, I'd obviously had clinical experience and I had the research side of things. So I very much thought, okay, probably my best chance of an in is going through the femtech route. And it's probably what I was and still am most passionate about. It's like the area I like the most. So I very much, um, started doing a lot of research on LinkedIn, finding different companies um, that are in the femtech space. And I started reaching out to them very much in a, a cold call kind of way, cold email way. Um, it is very difficult to do. It's, it's not pleasant, it's, but I think you kind of get a bit more used to it the more you do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I very much- what, what, just, So what, why yeah. is it not difficult? To, why is it difficult to do? Tell us a little bit more about the detail behind that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's um so obviously with hindsight now and obviously you know I've got um I've got work and I've built up a bit of a name and experience but when you're starting yeah. out and especially like those first emails and messages I was sending you know I I didn't have any experience it was like getting the first kind of foot in so it was very much you would send out emails and you'd hear nothing back you would send out messages and it would go nowhere you know, you get a lot of no's. You'd, we, we're not hiring right now. We're not looking for someone with your experience at the moment. So although now it's all kind of come together nicely at the time, you know, there was a lot of moments where I was like, am I actually doing the right thing here? You know, maybe I should just go back to full-time clinical medicine at the minute. Maybe this isn't for me. But I think because I wanted it so much, I kept going and I thought, okay, if I keep on, you know, sending out loads of messages, you know, all you need is one to start with to get your foot in the door. <laughs> so luckily what happened was I reached out to Hoopsie, which is a, um, an Australian-based startup in eco-pregnancy tests in the fertility space. And I reached out to their founder, Lara, um, and I said to her, you know, I'm a doctor, women's health focused, experience in women's health research. Um, I'd really love to kind of help you with your content, your marketing, and kind of get your name out there a little bit more. Um, I think at that at that point, they, they didn't have anyone medical or clinical in their team. And I just saw kind of an mm. opportunity to say, you know, maybe having a doctor endorsing what you're doing, not well, not endorsing, but maybe like kind of supporting it with content would be a good way yeah, yeah, to yeah. add credibility to your brand. Um, and that was my yeah. that was my first role. Lara was really keen to work with me, and it was my first role. It it was unpaid. Um, it was kind of like an internship in a sense, but it allowed me to say I'm actually a medical advisor now for Hoopsie. So that was my first um, position, mm. which at the time felt like a massive win. I mean, I think I think that's a really great narrative of how you got your foot in the door, and it and yeah, it can be soul destroying, <laughs> reaching out Absolutely. and getting nothing back. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. that is the norm, and probably will actually get worse um, over time, just because it's so easy to to reach out to people, and, and everyone's just excessively busy, excessively yeah. busy. Um, exactly. So so yeah, but as you but. It's it's the persistence really and the consistency that really got you through the door. And actually yeah. another point that you you raised that you said it was like unpaid internship. So when when you were when you reached out to Hoopsie, like or whichever company, how did you decide whether to do it as a paid or unpaid role? Like what kind of factors did you have to take into consideration there? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, and I, I think that's something that I speak to anyone that I'm giving advice to or coaching. I think it's really important to have boundaries with that because I think as doctors as clinicians we're very 100% about a lot of things we do especially if we're passionate about something and I think it's very easy to fall into the trap of doing like 
unpaid work that's crazy hours and not getting recognized for what you're doing because you know I knew that in in myself even when I was doing that at that time I was bringing a lot of value by putting my name to that by contributing content um so for me how I kind of worked it was I thought this is a good opportunity, but what I'm going to do is kind of set a set a boundary or set a limit. So I, I agreed a certain amount of content per month with Lara. It wasn't very much. It was maybe three articles a month, something like that. It was very a manageable workload. Um, and it meant that I still, although I was doing it for free, it wasn't taking up too much of my time. It was still keeping me free to look for other opportunities, still do my locum work, still do research work, um, but gave me the title mm-hmm. that I kind of needed. Sure. I mean, what other benefits or non-monetary benefits did you get from that role or, yeah, in general? Like, for yes. example, yeah. I mean, in in... When when I we usually advise doctors when you are negotiating relationships, so it's called relationships and jobs mm-hmm. with companies, you know, for the purposes of this conversation in a consulting capacity, it's always important to think beyond just the the cash transaction because Absolutely. there are other things of value that could be the equivalent to cash um, that can take you further further on down the line. For example, I mean, in this example, you know, it was a good experience for you. But for some doctors who said, well, I do need the cash for my time. And there are other things like, for example, you know, there's equity, there's options, there's introductions, there's, you know, do you have any yeah. speaking opportunities at X conference? You know, there's, there's, you can be as creative yeah. as you want with it. Yeah. Um, was that something is that a discussion that you had with them on that yeah so basically like a quick pro pro that's that's the best way of describing it yeah absolutely so basically at that time they Mm. were they're still I'm not sure what exactly their status is now but at that time there wasn't much cash and to be honest I was still quite new to the game so I wasn't really aware of even like asking or considering kind of equity sweat equity um so at that time Mm -hmm. very much for me it was kind of a mutual relationship in that I would help them with exposure and they would help me with exposure and it it did it did pay off to be honest um because they had a really good PR company called Aubergine and we worked together to get like articles in um, newspapers and magazines so it was really good for me to be able to say oh actually my article has now appeared in Grazia Belfast Telegraph um so there was although I wasn't paid for that work exactly it paid off for me to say that my content has featured in these articles and in these magazines and newspapers yeah yeah that's great and so yeah we advise doctors if you are doing things that doesn't involve cash just be very clear on what the returns could be for you and you can be as creative as you want with it the deal is is between you and the company or the person you're dealing with in the company I think that's great so I mean you use that opportunity as a springboard to other things Mm -hmm. um just moving ahead a little bit actually no no going back so as as a doing the technical route, so you've you set yourself up as a consultant essentially. So for the purposes of of this conversation, or actually any conversation you might have, consultant does not mean you've done your CCT. Uh, it does not mean that you're working <laughs> in management consultant <laughs> consulting. It means that you are providing your advice and expertise and your time. Um, yeah with another company or organization that's all that it means and I spent a long time trying to find out to really understand what consulting meant like a long yes, time because there was no real kind of definition um but that's all it means it's just a fancy term for just giving your advice which we yeah. all do it sounds right? really good yeah um, exactly 
Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds really good. And everyone yeah. everyone can do it. Anyone can exactly. do it and everyone mm-hmm. can do it and will yeah. do it. Um, so, so how did you use that to then um, further build your profile? Because you've worked as a clinical safety officer as well. Yeah, so how, how did that, how did you move on to that? Yeah, so basically from Hoopsie, I landed work with Luna, um, which is a startup in teen and adolescent health for um, f- girls and and those assigned female at birth. And um, from there, again, I'm going to really... ask you specifics yeah. again on this. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. So <laughs> only because the details are so important, right? Yeah, so you said from Hoopsie, you went into Luna. So how yeah. did that happen? So yeah, good point. Good point. So yeah, because Abena, I think that's the thing. It's so easy to skim over these details, but exactly, if you're trying to get in, this is what yeah. you need to know. Um. So basically, yeah, Luna, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Luna, I was lucky because um on LinkedIn, I think. I think someone had reshared Jazz Schembri's post. Um, she had highlighted that she was looking for um, doctors to help out with the content and ask Luna questions. And I'm pretty sure that someone in my network had reshared it. I can't remember who it was. And I just, again, I didn't have any expectations, but I thought I'm going to put my name forward for that and see would they be interested in working with me. So I had a quick call with Jazz maybe a week later and she was quite keen for me to join the team and and start working with them but I would say that and I I do always kind of say that's really important to people because I think you know that cliche thing of your network is your net worth but having a really good network leads to so many opportunities because people will like posts they will share posts and absolutely like for me a lot of the opportunities I've had has been because someone has shared something or liked something or commented on something. Um, and that was how I got the, the lunar role. It was just, I was lucky enough that I was scrolling through my feed and I saw it. Otherwise I might never have found that role. Yeah. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's very, it's hugely valid that you basically leveraged LinkedIn. You've yeah. done a lot of, I, I like to call listening exercises, which is, you know, just seeing what people are saying, seeing what people are commenting on, um, yeah. following the right kind of people, engaging with the right kind of threads. And, and that does lead to opportunities um, and doing it again consistently. So doing it as a one off doesn't work. And actually, before this podcast, you did mention that when you took a bit of time off, you noticed that the engagement also went down and and you may miss out on a few things. But I mean, I think I think that's a really great narrative on how you managed to use it as a springboard to your next role um but yeah let's tell us because what what does come up quite a lot is and and what a lot of health tech companies do need especially in their procurement processes working with public sector organizations like the nhs or or other organizations is to have a clinical safety officer so could you tell us a bit more about what is that and why is it important yeah absolutely so I yeah absolutely so again um for me I trained as clinical safety officer only earlier this year so it was March this year that I did the training with NHS Digital and again it was lucky it was a connection through um Dr Michelle Griffin who had suggested me to work as a as a clinical safety officer with Aura Fertility so again it was very much a case of connections through LinkedIn that got me that role thankfully um and basically what a clinical safety officer is is 
you still have to be a clinician to to do it. So you still have to have your GMC registration. So you can be a doctor, nurse, physio. Um, as long as you're with your registered body, you are you're fit to do it, and you have to have sufficient clinical experience. So, you know, I was coming into that as um, you know, an F four. So that was still enough experience to to kind of suit the requirements. And you also have to do the NHS digital training, which can be done in person or online, and it's a one day session going through um all the requirements of the clinical safety um, training and basically the clinical safety officer can come in and support um, support a startup or company that's trying to get um, the credibility and also to get into the NHS or working with um, you know, private healthcare providers and basically what it is is you're looking at the product that the product or service that that company offers and you're kind of the the mediator in a sense between your obviously you've got the the product team the engineers um and like obviously the founders ceos who developed everything but you're coming in and thinking from a patient perspective and a clinician perspective what problems could come up from that you know um because obviously products and things are developed very much from like the technical point of view from a product manager's point of view but you're coming in and you're saying okay that's all well and good but is this safe for patients is this usable in real life what kind of problems could come up and if there is risk um like risk of basically it's always looking at harm to the patient if there is risk of harm to the patient what can we do what kind of controls can we put in place to make sure that that harm is minimized or completely removed altogether mm. And so, I mean, I, I think this role is essential. How does, mm-hmm. how can you differentiate between, say, a physio doing this role and a doctor doing this role? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it, it's very dependent on the startup that you're working with, for example. So for Aura Fertility, um, it was really helpful to have a doctor or, yeah, a do- probably a doctor or a nurse, um, maybe even like a nurse who is more specialized in fertility, for example. But I think it was important in this aspect to have someone who understood about the consultations between um, patients and doctors in the fertility space, the kind of problems that could come up for patients who are going through fertility treatment um, and the kind of support and issues that could come through using the the aura fertility service um, and like the chatbot and everything that was part of that I think you know for example if it was a physio who was training as a CSO um, it probably maybe a different kind of startup would be more useful so something that's more you know physio or musculoskeletal focus for example so I think it's all about playing mm-hmm. to your your strengths and where you have more expertise in a way mm-hmm. and do you find that the appetite um, amongst health tech companies are to go for a doctor over a non-doctor or does it just depend on what they're looking for yeah. what they're willing to pay for more, yeah more <laughs> no I get that I think I think it really depends Abena, on probably the company and, and what they're mm. looking for most of the CSOs I know are either doctors or nurses um so I'm not sure if I actually know someone who's a physio who can do it but they're definitely I know mostly doctors and nurses who do it and there are like consulting groups um that provide a CSO service so there's like kaleidoscope safe hand and they have a mm. lot of nurses and doctors that you know companies could directly hire through them and then obviously you get maybe someone like myself who's more independent and you would hire on an individual basis so definitely companies companies can go to those kind of groups like safe hand kaleidoscope and you know get one of their members of staff who who may be a nurse or a doctor um to help with their company and, mm. and help get them into the NHS so Alice are you working what does your week look like at the moment? 
Yeah, so so my week is my week is very varied. I would say week to week it, it really changes. Um for me at the moment I'm still working as a clinical research fellow with the University of Aberdeen. So that's um yeah. doing doing my women's health research. So I do that full time on a Monday and a Tuesday. Um so I'm working from home mostly with that. I'll have some meetings with my supervisors. Sometimes I have to go in for mm-hmm. trial things and, and that sort of thing. Um but I really enjoy still having that those two days to kind of keep doing the research that I've I've been doing for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of my week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, it really varies. So at the minute, um, I'm still doing consulting calls. So working with new clients. So, you know, um, pitching my services to them, seeing how we can work together, how I can support them. Mm. Um I also then will have, you know, work that I'm working on. So say providing content, um, reviewing app features, um, clinical safety work for Aura took up a lot of time last month because we were, we had a deadline mm, in place. Mm. So it really, it varies depending mm. on what I need to do. Sure. What proportion of your time is, is focused on uh, what I, well, what we all call lead generation where you're, I like fishing say fishing for (laughs) for new work and new clients how much how much of your time would you say that is involved so I would say Abena like kind of like we talked about slightly earlier I think I only recently have really understood the importance of lead generation so I think initially because I was Mm -hmm. working so hard to get my initial work um, in consulting I was doing lead generation all the time and I think I enjoyed kind of taking a break from it for a while. It was kind of a, you know, a refresher to kind of have enough work to keep me going. But kind of looking, you know, this year after I finished the work with Aura Fertility, getting them ready for um, the the requirements they needed to do as CSO, I realized, oh, actually, okay, I need to get back on my lead generation game because you'd keep kind of work flowing. You need to be always thinking about what's next. And in some ways that can be a bit tiring. Maybe not everyone would enjoy aspects of that. But basically, I found I took a break um, posting on LinkedIn. I think maybe it was most of March until about mid-April. So it was about a good five weeks where I didn't really post much at all on LinkedIn. And normally I would have posted every, you know, maybe like twice, three times a week usually. Um, And my engagement just fell off. Like my chart was like, you know, almost (laughs) down to minimal. It was unbelievable. It really, you know, Mm -hmm. people always go on about it, but it's so true. Um, So yeah, basically probably start of May again I got back into it and I was like okay I really need to get back on this because it's affecting my engagement who I'm speaking to I'm not getting as many new leads so I set up you know a more regular kind of posting schedule and probably at the minute I would say lead generation I try to batch my content so I try to batch my LinkedIn posts and write them all in one go have them scheduled and ready to go because I think having to do it each day is just it's it's too stressful um you need to have everything prepared I use the I actually use the LinkedIn like scheduling feature within LinkedIn you know just the timer so I'm sure you could do something more yeah sophisticated than what I'm doing is quite basic but yeah I mean whatever works but yeah I mean that's a really good strategy to actually write your content uh, in a contained time frame and then that will go out on a regular basis but I find (laughs) that the algorithms do change all the time and they like it so someone told me recently uh they like it when you comment and start looking at something else and then you post and then you comment ah. on your post and then comment on the comments of your okay. post <laughs> because they're looking for ongoing engagement especially after you post and they like people that post and then bugger off 
yeah <laughs> fair enough fair enough so it's it's yeah so I mean like but but I think because recently I posted on LinkedIn because I turned 40 um yeah I saw your post May. I loved it May mm-hmm. baby mm-hmm. and um again like I, I've literally this year I've committed to uh, a higher level of authenticity which means my weaknesses my strengths my age I'm not apologetic for that whatsoever but most people yeah. will not put their age on uh, LinkedIn but I absolutely will um, absolutely, so doing yeah. everything everything people absolutely won't do I'll do it yeah. and um and just reflecting on you know what have I learned like you know you reflect on what you've learned and the impressions I got I mean like I, I posted four days ago, five days ago. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've got about just over seven, seven and a half thousand followers at the moment, but I had 13,000, mm-hmm. 13 wow. and a half thousand impressions, which actually is my, my, is, is the most I've ever had. Yeah. Which yeah, I'm really surprised. Amazing. And basically, and I also had a picture mm-hmm. of me and my baby from when we were on holiday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, it's like, it's always the personal touches that seem to go Absolutely. much further than yeah. the usual kind of work stuff. Yeah. um so so yeah but but like with the posting it is totally about trial and error mm-hmm. and when you talk about lead generation I mean there are different forms of generating leads yeah um and I, I'm not even going to even touch the surface with this yeah. because this is a whole like masterclass and a half <laughs> of itself but but if you're a doctor listening to this like generating leads is really it can be done in a way the best way that works for you um and yeah. that literally could be just asking for referrals from people that you already know you don't have to go online <laughs> to yeah. do it at all it's just touching base with people that you, you, preferably people you already know yeah. uh, because that that's more likely it's to convert easy, the people yeah. that you don't know you have to do yeah. more work and actually generating leads could work really well from the people or the companies you've already worked with yeah, uh, that's the lowest hanging fruit is always the best place. The people already know you are more likely to buy from you or work with you again. Yeah. Um, and it takes way more energy and work to, to do it, to try and get work from a new client. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah, it's interesting that you that one, especially when you're starting, you do have to spend a lot of time on yeah. that unless you're really lucky and someone just kind of hands you a job, which can happen. But mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. spending that time developing that skill will put you in great stead for the future if you are yeah. looking at developing yourself as an independent consultant in the longer term. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many skills that, I mean, this was basically, I, I advise doctors in our incubator, you need to look at yourself as a business. Even if you're doing it on your on your own as a solopreneur, you are a business and actually you need to think about all the components of your business and what you need to be focusing on the most. At the end yeah. of the day, businesses fail when they don't have any cash. So mm-hmm. in order for you to get cash, you need to get work. In order for you to get work, you need to find clients. In order to get clients, you need to get put yourself out there and mm-hmm. productize yourself. In order to productize yourself, you need to know what you're actually going to offer and who you're going to be yeah. targeting. So a lot of these things really need to be thought out. And yes, yeah. like it sounds like you've been down a learning path, a learning curve. Mm-hmm. And we all have. We all have. Even if people are told this, you still need to go down that you know really steep learning curve from medicine to like and and so people that have done it or are still doing it like massive kudos to people like you right because it's hard and it can be soul destroying um but when you get through that path of say success um it, it can be hugely rewarding so what would you say have been the personal benefits for you as a doctor and a person in essentially working for yourself 
as a consultant? Like what are the benefits of working independently for a number of companies rather than the, the, just the one? Because uh, yeah. most doctors would think, I just need to get a job and get an employed job. So tell me, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, Abena, just before I, I go into the positive, positives of it, I think it's really important mm. to acknowledge that it is a really big mindset shift. So for me, it's like, mm. obviously, like my, both of my parents were always full-time employed. I was full-time employed. I always just thought I would just be employed. So to me, this the shift from being someone who is full-time employed to self-employed, having to do business stuff, like all this thing, all these things um, was a bit of a shock. And sometimes I almost felt a bit guilty or bad that I wasn't full-time employed which is really weird it was a weird type of guilt in a way um but I realized that you know it's just a different type of work schedule and it's it's really nice to enjoy that and have that freedom so yeah I think probably the the most the number one thing for me would definitely be the amount of learning and new things I've done over the past year I think for me that's the most important thing I think like a lot of people who are in healthcare doctors nurses I think we like to be challenged we like to learn new things and for me over this past year you know I've learned so much about myself I've learned so much about um, business skills non-technical skills communicating with people organization management it's been a variety you know content product clinical safety I can't even you know probably god I don't know since when but probably in quite a while in one year this has been maybe the most I've learned um in some ways obviously you learn a lot in medical school but I think the variety of what I've learned this year Mm. is really what I would say makes it so interesting to me um Mm -hmm. so definitely I would say that anyone who's thinking of doing something similar I think that's what's really nice about it you learn so much you challenge yourself in different ways you grow as a person because you have to, you're doing something different. You're outside of your comfort zone a lot. And I think that's really good, but obviously scary at times as well. Um, And I think additionally, you know, having autonomy and a bit of freedom and a break because I was very, you know, I went straight through school, straight through uni into F1, F2, F3. And I think, you know, like kind of like how we talked about with that accent at the skiing, I think it was the first time, you know, in my 20s, I had a bit of time to say, okay, who am I now? What do I want? Because when we apply for medicine, Mm. when we apply for these um, courses we do, we're young, we're maybe only maybe 16, 17. So I think, having a, a regroup with myself and thinking about, okay, what do I want? What do I want my life to look like? Um, I think having that and having that autonomy again has been really, really nice and really rewarding. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think I, I completely echo what you said. For me, I I left the NHS, com- I say completely. It wasn't actually completely. And I stopped being employed by the NHS, but I still did yeah. work for them But as a self-employed. But, but mo- moving away from it and becoming self-employed, I noticed the difference. Yeah, that autonomy was huge mm-hmm. and actually just so freeing where you could just take time off whenever you wanted. You could work yeah. as much or as little as you wanted, um, mm-hmm. go on holiday whenever you wanted, you know, yeah. just not having to ask anyone else but yourself as to when you want to work or not. You can yeah. also decide how much you get paid, right? Yeah, and that's exactly. actually harder than it sounds, right? Like to being able mm-hmm. to negotiate what you think your value is and, and clarify that. Um, and also I'm not sure we touched upon, upon this, the, the benefits of actually consulting where you're working with a number of different companies is that you get to learn across the board in a, in a more broader perspective. So that actually when you go to another company saying, Hey, I've got all this experience and I've seen a whole range of different companies do it differently. And based on my experience, I would recommend this for you. I mean, that's hugely invaluable 
because yeah. a lot of these companies are, they only know what their company's doing they don't know what, what you know they don't know the benefits and the risks that other other companies yeah. and the mistakes or they don't have the learning that other mm-hmm. companies have had from the mistakes that they've made and so bringing yeah. in an external consultant um, could be a huge value. Obviously, confidentiality applies, of but course, it's, the, yeah, yeah. it's the learnings that's really, mm-hmm. really important in that case. And I, I find it really interesting when you get to kind of leapfrog into different companies and just you lift beneath the surface, and it's just kind of chaos most of the time, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, and and being able to really add value to to how yeah. they work. Um, so, like for doctors who are looking actually no I was going to go back I'm going to go mm-hmm. cycle back mm-hmm. a little bit I'm um, just talking about the employee versus self-employed piece just briefly yeah. um so you you may be aware we are running our doctors and in industry incubator which is a 12-month flexible program to help doctors get into industry faster and a lot of it is kind of like the equivalent of a mini MBA but specifically for doctors who are looking to work in industry and part of yeah. that is ensuring that they understand and know how to set themselves up as an independent uh, contractor, advisor, consultant, because yeah. we want doctors to make sure they have they have their options. We see a lot of doctors who are just relying on getting an employed job because they feel that that is the more secure way mm-hmm. of getting out or whatever. But ironically, it's not necessarily secure. It depends on how you perceive it. But being yeah. a consultant means that you can determine a lot of things you have control yeah. over a lot of things and you can create things from scratch whereas if you're literally with only one company they could let go of you at any time absolutely realistically mm-hmm. and then you are reliant on someone else or, or sorry another company and getting the right job for you and maybe having to yeah. take a pay cut etc etc also as a consultant you can charge what you want you can work as much as you want and and that there is that flexibility and freedom but i think the concern is you know it's got to be backed by being very clear as to how you set yourself up as a consultant so you don't end up getting burnt out because it's very easy to do that as a consultant I have to say very Mm -hmm. easy to do that um Mm -hmm. but you also get paid your no your market worth and one of the things that we really subscribe behind especially if you are a solopreneur and you're working on your own especially as a doctor is premium pricing um I don't even know much about the whole premium pricing values-based model where in many cases you'll see a contractor will say well I'll get paid by the hour and this is my hourly rate which is fine but it only gets you so far and realistically you're not going to be working full-time for these companies and actually be doing a lot more behind the scenes so mm-hmm. what we usually advise is is look at the value that the transformational value that you're offering the company and then put a figure on it according to how much you think you're going to work and how much money you want yeah essentially absolutely. it's yeah. it's a lot in some ways it's a lot simpler than it sounds it has to have a lot of thought put into it and mm-hmm. you also have to pick a figure that aligns with what the company also feels like they will get a return on investment on there's yeah. there's lots I mean this is and again this is a whole other piece uh but these are things that you would probably be thinking about if you are setting yourself up as a consultant like what 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 thoughts do you have on that 
Alice. Yeah, absolutely, Abena. So I think actually that's really interesting because it's only mm-hmm. now that I've had a bit more experience that I realize, you know, the, the value in premium pricing mm-hmm. and you know, looking at like having retainers with companies as well. Because I think especially mm-hmm. when I started out, you know, especially when I started with Luna, for example, because that was my first paid role. Um, it was very much I just worked on an hourly an hourly rate. And obviously, as I got a bit more experience, my hourly rate went up. But I think definitely there's a lot of problems with that in a sense because your your cash flow and your your payment very much varies per month depending on how much work you're actually doing so I, I completely agree with you I think you end up doing a lot of work that's not chargeable in a way like you know for example emails meetings sometimes can be it depends how you know formal informal they are but you do a lot of behind the scenes you maybe support them through LinkedIn you're posting about them you're they're using your name in a way so yeah I agree I think premium pricing is really really good it's something I'm developing myself at the moment um as to how to pitch myself um but yeah I think it's it's definitely a learning curve and I think maybe for starting out um an hourly rate is good but definitely as you build yourself a bit more and build more of a brand and a reputation I think going that kind of route premium pricing with retainers is is a good way to go yeah that's interesting because I would say start off with premium pricing don't yeah. start off with hourly oh, rates fair enough. because yeah, yeah, yeah. because 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 a part of that is sustainability piece so I'm as we know a lot of doctors are moving because they're burnt out and there's yeah. a huge well-being issue like a huge well-being factor behind the wanting to move and yeah. so what we don't want is them to end up in the same situation they were um, you know in the move before they moved and again like the strategy is take time off really really think about your offering for companies but i would say always from the get-go start off with premium pricing because you don't want to be working full time either. Um, so I say full time, like five days a week. My philosophy yeah. is I'm always working towards a three to four day week maximum. Yeah, uh, that's just me. And at least a third of that for me should be free unscheduled time. Um, so, but this is a well being. This is for well being. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. We talked about headspace earlier. It's still an important part of how you structure your week. So if you're yeah. listening to this. How can you mitigate stress and burnout whilst you're working for yourself? Because entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, it's just too easy to get to that point. Um, And yeah, so before we round up, sorry, go on, go on. No, I was just going to say, Abena, yeah, actually, I think, yeah, I'm going to backtrack on my advice about that. I think, I think you're right, actually. (laughs) That's okay. Because, no, 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 but I think, no, you're you're definitely right. We have different perspectives. Yeah, but I I think kind of now, you know, it's been hard for, probably to start with Mm -hmm. that would be better because I think now for me, it's, it's hard to kind of shift out of the Mm -hmm. mindset of an hourly rate. So yeah, I think actually, yeah, I'm going to backtrack and say, go premium pricing from the start. Uh, yeah, go with that. Take a bonus advice on that one, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, different things work for different people. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to know what your options are. And there Absolutely. are a billion and one ways to price yourself. But I would always say 100% go for premium pricing. But in order for that to work, you need to be very, very clear on what you're offering the yeah. company that you're working for. And then that is of value to them. And then it's clear what the investment is for them that they can make a great return turn from it um that's the best that's the best way and and again that's something that we talk about uh, in the doctors of, um doctors and industry incubator it's an art i have to say yes it's, not just a, it's an art and it takes work and a lot of it as you said mindset mindset shifts and confidence translates yes. to success and and a lot lots and lots of trial and errors 
Don't say mm-hmm. success. Absolutely. So before before we round up, do you have any other tips for doctors who are looking to go down the consulting route in health tech in particular? Yeah, absolutely. So I think in general, we've already kind of touched on this, but I think, you know, use your LinkedIn establish a network, establish a brand and a reputation, you know, start getting yourself out there, find what you're interested in and what naturally comes to you in terms of posting, but get your name out there as a, like a key opinion leader, a thought leader on a specific topic that you're passionate about, be it a certain speciality of medicine, be it AI, ML, whatever it is. Um, And I think, yeah, just, you know, stick at it, keep going. It is tough, but I think having the freedom and the skills that you'll develop will be worth it when you start to establish yourself a bit more and yeah always kind of look at how you can develop yourself is there any courses you can do anything you can do to help yourself like the incubator for example um and yeah I think that's that's what I would say is just look at what you have already how can you transfer that into health tech and keep going and and putting yourself out there brilliant thank you so much for that and actually one of the points I was going to ask you based on your experience so health tech is I always say health tech is health how important is it to find a niche within health technology so from your narrative from from your journey you are focusing your primarily your passion is in women's health so yeah how beneficial have you found it to say and to kind of put your marker in the sand and say I'm a women's health expert rather than I'm a health tech expert like I'd love to to hear your insights on that absolutely Abena I think I think it's really important to establish yourself as something as having some sort of niche um because to me that was definitely and still is my unique selling point I think you know, you have to establish yourself something as something, because if you, you know, if I was just to say I'm a health tech consultant, it's very broad, it's very generic. It means I could work for almost anyone, um, which obviously isn't a bad thing. It means that you do have a lot of potential leads, but I think especially when you're establishing yourself, I think having a specific skill set or a specific niche is a really good way to establish yourself as more of a specialist I won't use the word expert because I don't feel like I am an expert, but I think using word of like more of a specialist is a good way. Yeah, (laughs) I think because I think um, I think having a specialism is a good way to get started and establish yourself. And it really helped me get a lot of work in the femtech space. And I think now that I've built up the skills and experience that I have, obviously, if I want to expand a bit more, I can because I've built up a lot of transferable skills in content, product, clinical safety that can be taken out, out of femtech and used in other companies. But I think without that initial niche and specialism, I think it would have been hard for me to kind of brand myself and, and get a name for myself. Thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah. um, I think, again, like you, you've just illustrated the importance of the niche there, but I wanted to pick you up about the word expert. So in practice, expert equals consultant equals advisor it's, it's the same thing yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've, if you've noticed that so because like you know I, I came from medicine thinking yeah. oh my god I can't possibly say I'm this or that or I know more than but the reality is if you're working with a company and they are they're contracting you because of your your skills and your knowledge in a certain area you are the expert mm-hmm do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you talked about Hibbern and she's got, she's, she's, she's in, in, uh, Obs and Gynae, uh, senior mm-hmm. level, 
but you're also working as an expert in women's health. Does that mean that your input is any less valuable? How much do com- how, how much do companies care at this stage as to what what STE level you are or CCT level you are for, based on your experience? What would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think that's a really good way to kind of phrase it. I think probably part of that attitude maybe avoidance of the word expert from my Mm. side just comes from you know working in the NHS dealing with like you know CCT consultants and I think I was always a bit wary of using that word but I completely agree with you I think you know for example there's rules that are advertised now that in some ways I would be more likely to get over someone who was an NHS consultant in the sense that I have health tech experience and expertise um, mm-hmm. Whereas they they're mm-hmm. probably very good as like a subject matter expert, but they don't actually have the practical mm. you know, kind of direct experience. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I guess maybe I should get a bit more comfortable with using that word. Um, I guess it's probably just my own kind We're of. Using imposter. this as a coaching session, by the way, yeah. for Alice. <laughs> <laughs> I know, just Welcome a touch to a coaching session. <laughs> Oh, well, well, it's interesting because we're going to talk about imposter yeah. syndrome in our next podcast. Yeah, it's a very important Perfect. part of this. But no, I mean, like, we've all had it. And I'm only yeah. picking this up because I mean, I've had it personally. Yeah. And it's what I've learned from that transition from the public sector mindset of like, can't possibly say that I'm more than I am. I then uh, and then moving to the private sector where no one cares. They just want to know that you can do the job well. Do the job, right? They don't really care how many letters they have after your name. They don't really, you know, and, and if if they do care, they're after very specific knowledge. And yeah. yeah, but like you'll see like most like, for example, chief medical officers, they're not exactly CCT, you know, post CCT. They could be anybody with a medical degree. Yeah. Anybody absolutely. with a medical degree. So, <laughs> so there's so much opportunity there. And I think the people that do succeed are the ones that can position themselves selves well mm-hmm. and are great communicators and networkers. Yeah, basically. absolutely. They know yeah. their value or they can communicate their value and they can do the job. Right. Mm-hmm. That that's it. It's not it's not how many courses you've done. Courses can help, but they're not going to get course, you through the but, door. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely. about who they know as well. Yeah, 100%. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, you. Uh, you know, this is a really great conversation to have. And I think we really picked on a lot of like pain points that doctors face when they're considering getting into health tech, consulting in health tech, and some of the nitty gritty detail of the actually how to's. So, and I really appreciate you sharing some of those challenges with us and your story. I know you're clearly doing really well. You've done it in such a short space of time, by the way. I have to say, and that that is testament to, exactly, but that's testament to your resilience and Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm just excited to see where you go, frankly. So (laughs) I'll keep on following you, Alice. So thank you so much for your time. And if anyone needs to reach out to you, how do they best do that? Yeah, so so best to get me on LinkedIn or my email, alice.mcgee, M-C-G-E-E at mara.health. Best way to get me. Nice, nice, awesome. Thank you so much, Alice. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me, Abena. It's been a pleasure.